welcome to this King's Church talk. We hope that you really enjoy it. If you have any questions, please email us on admin at kingscc.org or you can go to the website www.kingscc.org. Thank you. So we're going to be looking at, um, at the moment as a church, we're going through our vision statements. Um, and if you've not got a little card with all the information on, there's some on the new welcome desk over there. Okay, the new welcome desk. If you've not had a look, go and have a look. Um, please don't leave anything on the desk that we haven't put there. That would be really helpful. Um, but we are going through our vision statement. And this morning and in two weeks' time, we're going to be looking at the issue of impact. How do we impact uh, our communities, our friends, and all those sort of things. And uh, this morning, Lucy's going to be uh, talking into this as well. We're going to split the morning into two little bits, Lucy's first, and then I'm going to follow on with a little bit extra. But the issue is that um, all the way through the Bible, we could come out with actually hundreds, dozens and hundreds of verses that would, or ways that we should say, actually, we need to be impacting our communities with widows, strangers, the poor, the elderly, the vulnerable, there's hundreds of verses, and, but we're not going to do that this morning. I'm going to assume that you're happy to accept that we should be reaching out into our community. Is that all right? Is, is anybody object to that? No? Okay, so this morning what we're going to be doing is looking at two um, important things. One is what, what we feel about reaching out into our community. And then I'm going to look at what they feel about coming into our community. Is that okay? And um, as part of this, Ju uh, Lucy and I have been working with a, an organization called Jubilee Plus. Jubilee Plus is part of New Frontiers, although it's getting wider than that now. And um, Ju um, Lucy joined first. She um, has done a lot of research into a, the orange leaflet. If you've got the orange leaflet, um, pretty much this is Lucy's work. Okay? She's done a fantastic job. And I would encourage you to read it. Um, and then it's what happens is that Lucy does all the hard work, and then I go and get to drink coffee with organizations and talk about how we can help them work this through. Jubilee Plus is the purpose is to how do we um, work with or uh, encourage churches to increase their capacity to impact their communities? And how do we talk to the rich, the famous, and the politicians to help them change their views on how they, the things they're doing, their policies that affect the vulnerable and the weak. And so we've been doing this for a while, and the trust and the elders wanted us at some point for us to tell you what we've been doing. Okay, So I thought this morning would be a great time to do that. First of all, this one's about um, supporting people with addictions. If you think that people with addictions don't exist in Cockmouth, you need to think again. Okay, There are people in our communities, right around our communities, who live with addiction on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay, it hits our communities. And the second one that we've been working on is this one called Care for, the, for Older People. Now, this is not a comment on, on anybody here. Okay, but how do we as churches think, what do we think about reaching out and helping those that are elderly? Now, CTICA, we've heard about a moment ago, we've got an exciting development that's working its way through the system. In about six months' time, we'll be launching something 
which helps us as churches to do just that, engage with the older elements of our community that are lonely or vulnerable. And then there's a third one, which is just the general, this is who Jubilee Plus is, this is information. Um, and we want to encourage you to take them home. Don't read them right now unless you get really bored, okay? <laughs> Don't do it. Um, but um, take them home, read, about, read it, think about some of the things. There are other things that we get involved with, refugees, asylum seekers, um, planting churches in deprived areas, all sorts of things that are going on at the moment. But this morning isn't a Jubilee Plus preach. Okay, we, we just wanted to let you know what we've been doing and on your behalf. But this week we're going to be looking at um, what are responses to people who are in need and vulnerable. So would you welcome Lucy? She's done a great job and I love working with her. She's very tenacious and she um, keeps me to account in some of the things that we talk about. There we go. Yeah, oh, there we go. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Paul, for the introduction. If you, if you see someone like this, which, granted, in West Cumbria isn't very often, or if you encounter someone in need, someone who is in debt, someone who needs a food bank, re really any need that you encounter, what... What thoughts go through your head? I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tell you what kind of thoughts go through my head. I think, well, how, how did they get there? Was it because of something that they have done? Is it because of bad circumstance? Because of bad decisions? And, and what's going to happen if I do help them? Is that help going to be thrown back in my face? Is it actually going to do something that's beneficial? Or, you know, if I gave a beggar money, would that go on drink and, and drugs? And actually, that is a way that I have actually been taught to think. I used to work in international development. And if a donor is giving money to a project, they want the maximum output. If you are funding entrepreneurs starting business. You want the businesses to work. But actually, it's how our whole society functions. I mean, in the news all the time, you hear about welfare and about universal credit and benefits. And do these people deserve this money? Or do are they just scrounging off the states? Our, our media is just full of negativity towards people in need. And actually, this book, which has been written by Martin Charlesworth and Natalie Williams, who also work for Jubilee Plus, The Myth of the Undeserving Poor, they explore this, and they explore what the Bible says, how, how we should respond as Christians. Because actually, ultimately, we shouldn't be deciding how we engage with the needy in our society based on, on what we've been told in the media. We should be doing it based on what the Bible tells us. And what they, what, they, what they argue is that as Christians, we should be showing radical mercy 
to people in need, irrespective of why they are in that need. Now, we could look at many different passages in the Bible to explore this, um, but first of all, we're going to look at Psalm 107. Sorry, first of all, we're going to do a quote from Thomas Merton. He's an American monk and theologian in the 20th century. And he said, our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that really challenging. <laughs> so, yeah, so Psalm 107. Psalm 107 um, is written to celebrate the Jews coming back from exile in Babylon. They've been there 70 years, and they were in exile because they had disobeyed God again and again and again. And actually, when they were being brought back from exile, they were in a variety of circumstances. Some of them were wandering in a desert. Some needed to cross seas to get back to Jerusalem. Some um, were in prison because they'd done things wrong. And others were sick or afflicted because of their own foolishness. But God had mercy on them, whether or not they were in trouble because of their own doing, or whether it was um, just no fault of their own. And this pattern repeats four times in the psalm. That people are in trouble, they cry out to the Lord for help, he delivers them regardless of how they got into that trouble and they give thanks to him. So we're going to look at a couple of those examples now. So firstly, verses 4 to 9. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. So this is one of the examples where it's not their fault. And actually, a modern-day example is refugees. We have them fleeing conflicts and horrendous situations, and they are crossing deserts and they are crossing seas. Um, and, yeah, so God provided them a city in which they could settle. So now we'll look at an example where it is their fault which is the same psalm, verses 17 to 22. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. 
Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of praise. So they're in pain or they're ill, but because of bad decisions they've made. And an example today would be a drug addict, for example. Um, But God rescued them. But something I noticed when I was looking at the four repetitions in this psalm is that on all occasions, they all cry out to God. And that left me thinking, well, plenty of people are in need and they do not cry out to God. And so actually, where, where does that leave us as Christians? Are we supposed to only help people that acknowledge God? And the answer is, is no, because actually God has had compassion on each and every one of us whilst we were still sinners. As Romans 5 says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So whilst we were in a mess, whilst we were making bad decisions and were rebellious, he, he died for us. And, I mean, another, I mean, another way of putting it is John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, I think sums this up really well. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And then if we, if we look at the life of Jesus when he was on earth, his, his ministry was full. He spent his, all his time with the needy, with the sick, He spent his time with prostitutes and tax collectors. I mean, he he actually actively sought them out. And as it says on the screen from Luke 4, which is based on Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Jesus talking. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And I'm just thinking, like, if God has loved, has loved me when, when I was still a sinner and I was still doing wrong things, and, and Jesus loved people, whoever they were, during his time on earth, then who am I to make a judgment on who I should show mercy to. Helping those in need is not an optional add-on as a Christian. In Mark 2, 17, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
In fact, in Luke 15, 2, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're the religious establishment of the day, they muttered, this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. They actually accused him of doing this. And actually, by us loving one another and loving those in need, we are demonstrating God's love to them. And actually, we are called to do this regardless of whether we get thanked or whether it gets thrown back in our face. In Luke 6, 35 and 36, Jesus teaches us to love our enemies and to lend to people not expecting anything back, even if they are ungrateful and wicked. And so that really leads to our response as, as Christians So we are called to love those around us in need, to show mercy to them without assessing whether we think they deserve it or not. And actually, we can link this back to the last two weeks. The last two weeks we've looked at worship. We've looked at corporate worship and individual worship. And us helping the poor and needy is a form of worship to God. As James 1, 27 says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So to summarise, we've looked at Psalm 107. God helped the Israelites whether to get back to Jerusalem, whether they were in difficulty because they'd done wrongdoing, they'd done stupid things, or because they just had difficult circumstances to get through to get back. They were in deserts or they were in seas. And we've looked at how God has shown his compassion to each and every one of us by sending Jesus on the cross whilst we were a sinner. He he showed mercy to us. And we've also looked at how Jesus, during his ministry, sought out people with messy lives. He, He actively went to help them, to be with them, to spend time with them. And so should we. Yeah, thank you. So... So we're, um, we have a, a biblical mandate to reach out beyond our boundaries. Spirit break out. If the spirit breaks out in this room, that's absolutely awesome. But if that's all it does, he does, not it, he does. If that's all he does and we take it home and we put it on our shelf and think that's wonderful because we've had a great Sunday morning and we don't take the Holy Spirit out into our communities then all we're doing is feeding ourselves and getting fatter and fatter while people out there are getting poorer and poorer. And what Lucy's outlined there I think is fascinating because from my background, I have spent a lot of time thinking about, well, they don't deserve what they're getting or they're scrounging or whatever. We make judgment calls. People come into our debt centre, West Cumbria Community Money Advice, and... I know I'm going through a tick box in my head if I'm not careful that I, I've got to stop doing. And I, 
have to sometimes mentally put a full stop say that's not the issue. The issue isn't why they've got here. The issue is that we want to help them get out of here and be free from debt. Does that, does that make sense? So, I'm going to meander through Mark 13. Okay, and I mean meander because I'm, I'm, I've done something unusual this morning. I haven't got notes. I, I just want to speak what's in my heart. Is that, is that all right? Is that okay? So, we're just going to meander through Mark 13 because this parable has, over the last, probably over the last 10 years, has become a real touchstone scripture for me in the things that I'm doing and want to do and want to see happen. It's, it's helped me understand why I'm doing some of the things I'm doing. So let's just read it. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which man takes and plants in his field. Though it's the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of all the garden plants, and it becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Very short, very sweet, that's it. Okay, Jesus is telling a parable. It's a story. And the first thing that, um, that I've pondered over the last few years is, is the difference between kingdom and church. Kingdom and church. Jesus doesn't, in this parable, says, he told him another parable, the church is like a mustard seed. Not, it, this parable is nothing to do with the church. It's about the kingdom. All of the church is in the kingdom of God. It has to be. Because it's his church. Why would Jesus have a church that's not in his kingdom? It doesn't make sense. All the church is in the kingdom. But what I've increasingly come to see is that not all of the kingdom is in the church. The kingdom is out there. When I walk into um, Alison's chemist to get my um, decongestant tablets that I've had to get this week because I've been feeling rough, okay, I go in there and I put my money on the counter. They give me the decongestant tablets. I walk out. I've just taken the kingdom of God into Alison's. They don't know it. But that's what's just happened. When I go into Aldi, I and I do my shopping, I talk to the girls because I like talking to the staff. Not the girls, the staff. <laughs> no, because like Jesus, I like to go. No, Lucy said it. We have to. Um, I like like chatting to them, just seeing where they're at. I, I don't know if you. Uh, when I first arrived here, we were on Station Street, and I, embarrassingly, I spent good chunks of my time just walking up and down Station Street, going into the shops and just chatting to them and saying hello and winding them up and having a bit of fun and walking on. And every time we do that, we are taking the kingdom of God into that uh, uh, situation. This is about the kingdom. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Bring your kingdom to earth. It brings a different perspective to my time and what I'm doing with my life. If all I'm doing is going to work to earn some money to put some food on the table, some clothes on my back and have a nice holiday, that's great, but it's not bringing the kingdom. My work 
has value, your work has value, whether that's with children at home, whether that's um, in, the, in a formal workplace, whether that's on the golf course, whether, wherever it is. Okay, we are called to bring the kingdom into that place and represent Jesus where we are. That's, that's our calling. It gives value to what I'm doing. Everything. So, I personally believe that God could today send his Holy Spirit into Cockermouth, revival sweeps through the town, hundreds of people flock up to King's Church and they go, what must I do to be saved? That could happen right now. I believe that. But what I also believe is that Jesus' plan for us is that we take the kingdom of God into the dark areas. We take it. It is it blows my mind out that God has decided that his plan of action, mainly revival where God breaks out does happen, but it's, it's unique. But mainly God's plan of action to bring his kingdom into Cockermouth is you and me. He's partnering with you and me. He wants you to partner with him. And he wants you to partner with me. So we can do that. The second thing I, that I want to meander through is that this mustard seed, the man takes, he plants it, and Jesus explains to us, because we're Westerners and don't really understand, but it's the smallest of the seeds. Okay, now, part of my life has been making the grand gestures, the big, the big gesture. Let's have a Christmas Day party for all the homeless people in Allerdale. Big gesture. Looks fantastic. And that's right sometimes to do that. But Jesus is not talking about big gestures here. He's talking about the small things. He's talking about small things. The little things that you don't even think about that are important in bringing the kingdom of God into people's lives. That child that you talked to the other day that was a bit upset and you just said, how you doing? It's great to see you. God, you know, you know, a lot of people love you, a lot of people care for you, you're doing great. You, you, little thing. Jesus says it's the little things that are important. When you're out and about doing stuff, um, the way that you treat people, the way that you do things, the little things are important. And I know that because when I lose my temper with somebody, and they've done something I didn't want them to do. I, I could tell you a story about the other day on the train, but I'm not going to because it's really embarrassing. Um, no, I will tell you. Is that all right? I should confess before the church. Okay, I'm on a train, and I'm going down to London to a Jubilee Plus meeting to talk about how do we work with the vulnerable and the needy and those people that are hurting, okay? I'm full of piousness. Okay, I, this is fantastic. God's in this. God, no, 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 no. I'm on a train, and I'm late. This train is late. It's late by about half an hour, which means I'm missing some important stuff. And I'm, I'm on the train, and, and everybody gets up. We get to Houston Station. We all get up, all put our coats on. And about 10 people down, there's a man putting a coat on and really taking his time. I mean, painfully taking his time. I mean, to the point where my blood is now boiling because I want to get off this train, okay? Because I've got a very important meeting to go to talk about vulnerable weak people who need help. And as he turned around with his white stick, 
I felt God speak to me. I was not bringing the kingdom of God to that man. See, the small things are important. How I react to people, I can bring the kingdom of God or I can, and blessing, or I can bring something else and bring them curse. Now, I have to say that I'm learning that process. A long way off it. So, when it grows, it grows into the largest of plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds come and perch in its branches. Now, that last little phrase, the birds come and sit in its branches, has meant an awful lot to me, really, because it gives me an understanding of some of the things we do and why we do it. The kingdom of God is like this tree. Well, who are the birds? What's the birds got to do with it? Jesus could have just put a full stop at the end of and becomes a tree. Full stop. But the birds come. What's the birds got to do with it? Who are the birds? The birds are the people who we reach out to that access the kingdom through us, whether they know it or not, where they find a place to sit and rest and be safe. So when Gail does Bridge Cafe, and there's 20 or 30 people there eating bacon rolls, and they're talking about all the rubbish they talk about. Sorry if you listen to this on the tape when you're from the Bridge Cafe. And they do talk some utter rubbish sometimes. But they come, and the kingdom of God is in the cricket club, and they come and they feel safe and secure and wanted and loved. Is that true? They're the birds of the air. They don't come to church. Some of them have been to different events, and one or two actually have made it on a Sunday morning. But generally speaking, they stay away from us on a Sunday morning, but they are accessing the kingdom every week, twice a week. Crack and kiak, Sunday lunch. So let's take Sunday lunch as an example. Lots of people come to Sunday lunch. Some of them come from the bridge club, at bridge cafe. Some of them come from other things. They come and they have a wonderful Sunday lunch for two pounds. They're the birds of the air. They've come and they feel secure. They feel valued and loved. It's important. And the more and more I've looked at that, it gives me a context for thinking the questions like, well, how long should we carry this on for? Lucy's already referred to it, but we, when you get funding, and we have had funding from uh, councils and other places for some of the things we're doing, the question is, how long do we carry on for? Well, do we carry on until the money runs out? Do we carry on until the number of people who are becoming Christians through the, let's use the Bridge Cafe again, is that all right? So the number of people that become Christians through a Bridge Cafe, let's keep that going until it gets to less than a quotient of one, one a month, one a year, whatever it is. How long do we keep this going for? Well, until they fly out. Until the birds go. Jesus is not looking for a, a value to the amount of time we're putting into things. So he's not looking at the kingdom of God and saying, 
Well, so long as there's 16 birds that come every week and they sit there and perch, that's fine. But when it gets lower than 10, it's not worth it. Let's move on. Now, there are times when we've got to say, actually, we want to invest our time in a different way and maybe more wisely, but that's not this conversation. Because basically, the birds can stay there for as long as they want and enjoy it and enjoy the fruit, enjoy the scenery, enjoy the company. Why? Because that's the kingdom. God, Jesus isn't rushing around trying to increase numbers. He's not trying to find more birds to come and live in the trees. Just the birds that are there. And what are the branches? What do they sit on? Well, what about debt counselling? Our world is full of people who are mentally strained and anxious and all sorts of stuff because they're in debt. I've been there. Some of you are still sitting there, but you've not acknowledged it. But it's a branch that they sit on. They can find Christians who are willing to help them sort out their debt problems, carry their burden, hold their hand, cry with them, laugh with them while they sort it out. Okay, and then once it's all sorted out, often they fly away. They don't, most of them don't become Christians, but that's not the point. Jesus heals lepers. In their society, he heals these lepers that go away completely whole, and only one of them comes back to say thank you. So Jesus said, well, that's it, I'm not doing that again. Here's another one. These are things that we do, as, just right now, I'm just thinking of what we do as a church. What about, let's have a look around. I'm trying to think, we've done Sunday lunch, Sunday lunch. You know, my brain's not working, sorry. Sorry? Craft. Craft and coffee. Okay, a new thing that we started, Spark, same sort of thing. Um, we're getting non-Christians coming to things with food involved because they enjoy food, okay, or cake, or they just want to chat. They're lonely. People coming to sit down and do some knitting, or they are come down to do some crafts with us on a Sunday afternoon, and they're enjoying themselves. Now, do I want them to become Christians? Absolutely yes, every time. But the branches they're sitting on is the tool of the kingdom of God to draw them into what we're doing. And if they don't become a Christian, Christian, that's fine because it's not my responsibility. Who makes people Christians? Do you? Have you ever helped someone become, or not helped them, actually made them born again? Because I haven't. I can't. All I can do is bring them to Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. Plant the seeds of the kingdom. Water it. Let it grow till it becomes a big tree. And the light switches on and they go, wow, isn't God good? Matthew 25. Why do we do this? Matthew 25. Because when we give water and food to those that need water and food, or we give sustenance to people in the foyer that need sustenance and friendship, or when we 
go to the Winlatter and they sit on a chair, a little scooter, and they go around Winlatter. Why are we doing this? Because every time we do it to one of these, Jesus says, you're doing it to me. It's worship. And finally, not quite finally, I've come to a theological position which is very uncomfortable for me, okay, because I utterly and totally believe in the power and the authority of theology and working theology out in my life. I believe in the Bible, and I believe it in an applied sense. But we are now living in a post-truth society. So if I stand here with a bunch of non-Christians and tell them the truth from the Bible, the most likely outcome is that all of them are going to argue with me and not believe anything I'm going to say. Is that, do you, would you agree with that? Have you tried arguing truth with your friends at work? It doesn't really work. Gone are the days when people thought that the Bible was the authority that they had to work towards. That's gone. So how do we do that now? Well, the theological position I've come to is that, first of all, we demonstrate the love of God. That's what Jesus does. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated this to us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus doesn't come into my life and tell me the truth in that sense. He demonstrates his love to me first. Now, truth is important. Please do not hear what I'm saying, or I'm not saying. And then we have the opportunity when we demonstrate the love of God, we have the opportunity to demonstrate the power of God. Just recently, I, I hope I'm going to be free to say this about what you've been praying with people down at the, the Bridge Cafe. Is that all right? So, after two years, 2015, after two years of these birds coming down to sit in the Bridge Cafe and enjoying the baking sandwiches and having a natter, one couple find themselves in a really difficult situation. What do they do? They ask. We know you're Christians. Would you pray for us? We need prayer right now. Because if you don't pray, I'm dying. I've gone. And we demonstrate the love of God, which gives us the ability to demonstrate the power of God. We pray for them. We ask God to heal them. We, we with faith, say that God can do things in your life that nobody else can do. And guess what? Then they ask the question, well, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Well, I'm doing this because here's the truth. Demonstrating love, demonstrating power, demonstrating the truth. If we get that the wrong way around, if, uh, this is where I've come to. I may be wrong. I mean, if I am, the elders will take me onto one side, beat me up, and that's fine. But if I get that the wrong way around and I preach the truth without love and power, I'm in serious trouble in accessing people's hearts and minds. Does that make sense? So finally, what if they never respond? Well, do you know what? The conclusion I've come to, that's God's problem, not mine. It's God's problem. My calling on my life is not to is not to stop when I think that that person's gone and it's finished. 
my calling on my life is to keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. And different birds come and sit in the nest, in the trees. And different birds need different branches to sit on. And if this branch has stopped working, let's grow another branch that works. And if this bird's disappeared, let's go and find some more birds and attract some more birds with some bird seed to come and sit with us. My job isn't to decide because they're not becoming Christians, I'm just going to give up. That's, jo- that's God's responsibility. And do you know what? I'm so pleased it is. And because it's God's responsibility, he attracts the birds that he wants, not the ones that I want. Um, uh, all of you have seen Mark or Simon or Peter, depends on which day of the week it is as to what he calls himself. But he's the guy in town with the dreadlocks. You, you all come across him? And um, Mark is a very interesting character. But Mark needs the love of God just like I do. And if it was left to me, I would walk on the other side of the street. If it was left to me, I don't want to be near the smell. I don't want to be near the abuse. I don't want to be near other people when, when other people are walking down the street, other Christians saying, look what he's doing. But Mark needs the love of God just as much as I do. Without me assessing whether he's worth it or it's got any value. So how does that work out? Well, you know, there's a fish and chip shop that sells chips and curry sauce. And I happen to know that Mark loves chips and curry sauce. As I give chips and curry sauce to Mark, that is an act. <coughs> that's an act of worship to Jesus, and he needs that. <coughs> it breaks my heart when I see people like that. It breaks my heart because there's not very much I can do about it. I was talking to the housing manager for Allerdale on Wednesday, and. Um, we talked about Mark, and uh, her view was, her view is that Mark doesn't want any help. And on one level, I agree with her. But on another level, Mark is crying out for help. And when I do the little things, Jesus notices. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you have put each of us in a unique space that's ours with a unique set of relationships, a unique set of circumstances, a unique group of people that we relate to who all have their own unique needs. Thank you, Jesus, that you have your kingdom is stretching out further and further and further. And we say, would your kingdom come in Cockermouth, Lord? Lord, where there's poverty or debt, where there's injustice or there's pain, where there's suffering or people are are sick, where there's people who are addicts, where there's people who do stupid things and make stupid life decisions, where there's people who are today self-harming or 
thinking about suicide. God, we say, would your kingdom come and extend in this town, Lord Jesus? We want to thank you for the birds that come and sit in the trees that you've asked us to grow right now. If you're involved in one of those things right now, would you like to stand and just cry out to God for the people that you represent? It could be anywhere. It could be in the school. It could be the bridge cafe. It could be Sunday lunch. It could be Spark. It doesn't matter where it is. If you know that you're working and alongside people with pain and suffering, why don't you stand and ask God, bring your kingdom into those people's lives right now? Why don't you do that? Let's cry out to God. We've already done it once, but let's cry out. God, bring your kingdom into these people's lives. Let them feel safe and secure. Let them know that they're loved and valued. Let them know, Lord, that despite the fact that society sometimes withdraws itself from them or it just says, we're not interested. It's your fault. Sort it out. Lord Jesus, we pray for them that they would feel secure and safe when they're around us. We pray for those people who live on the edge of society, who are rejected by society, who, who for whatever purpose, they just find themselves outside of the norm. We pray, God, would you bless those people. Let them feel safe and secure when they're with us. For those people who think the church hates them. I think of a specific group of people right now. The church hates them. The church does not love what they do. It doesn't agree and actually hates them. Lord, I pray that they would feel safe and secure in our presence. Lord Jesus, as a church, we say, our Father who is in heaven, your kingdom come. Lord, send more birds, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.